we, uh, we're continuing our summer series. It's, uh, we, we work through 1 John. Uh, typically, during the, the summer, we kind of just pick one book and just kind of move through it. We have had some uh, disruptions this summer, um, but we're going to try and finish uh, before, or at least get close to finishing, um, and then maybe we can do 1 John Part 2 <laughs> next summer. Um, but what, what we've, where we've been is we've been seeing John's kind of been uh, pointing out all the different uh, dangers uh, to the church and also the, the, the sort of ways that we are supposed to be within the church. Um, and today he's, he's going to kind of continue on that theme, but, but first he's going to remind us of what time it is. Remind us of what time it is. Uh, in John's, the way that John sees the, the world, the way that um, he understands the coming of Christ, is there was, there was this time before uh, where over time uh, the enemy, the devil, Satan, kind of took over everything and, and established this evil empire um, that was oppressive to the ways of God, that was totally against everything God wanted. And then Jesus comes in, kind of like an invasion, where Jesus comes in and through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus inaugurates, begins a brand new era. And so, the, 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 but the, the, there's overlap, okay? Because Jesus is crucified, he's raised, but then he ascends, and while we wait for him to return, there's kind of this in-between time. It's sort of like... Um, it's kind of like uh, the, the evil empire has been, has been dealt a decisive blow, but it's still fighting. It's still trying to, 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 to grasp and, and damage. And so the church, we're in this, uh, we're in this zone, this, this time where um, we anticipate the fullness of God um, in the return of Christ, and yet we acknowledge that there's still the last vestiges of you know, evil that we are, are battling against. And so uh, keep that in mind because that's going to help. Um, it's going to help give uh, context to uh, some very, uh, cons- some very odd language and some stuff that might be a little unfamiliar to you. So let's uh, let's read the text together and and remember that it is children. It is the last hour, right? It's the it's the the sun. The sun hasn't quite come up yet, but but the the sky is lightening. And as you've heard, Antichrist. It's coming. And so many antichrists have already come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They left us, but they were not rooted in us. Um, if you're following in the Pew Bible or on your uh, Bible app, uh, you may, or, or, or your Bible that you brought, uh, you'll see that it's probably they were not of us or from us. I'll explain that in a bit. For if they had been rooted in us, they would have stayed with us. But by leaving, they made it obvious that not one of them is really ours. John goes on and says, But you, you possess an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and you all are in the know. And again, if you're following the Pew Bible, a little little different there, I'll explain that. But because you do know it, and because you know that no lie is rooted in the truth, who lies if not the one who denies that Jesus is Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one? Well, that person's an antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father too. Yeah, so a lot going on here. We got antichrists running around. We have anointings from the Holy Spirit. What, is, what, what exactly is John getting at? What's he, what's he, what's he pointing at? Well, let's, uh, let's, let's break it apart. Let's, let's get it um, a little bit, get a little closer to the text. It's the last hour. Again, it's, uh, John, John conceives of life as like the, 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 the new regime, the age to come, the kingdom of God. It's, it's peaking. It's peaking, but it's not here in its fullness yet. And as a result, we're still dealing with all of these troubles. 
However, John thinks, there, we, we've heard, and the early church prophesied this. Um, so you can, get, you can listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, in the, in the uh, Peter's uh, books, there's talk about um, the son of perdition, I think. Um, and there's, there's different places. Even Jesus will talk about the coming cataclysm or apocalypse. They, the, the early Christians knew that time was headed in this direction and that before the sun could come up, there would have to be a final conflict, a, a, a final end uh, between the Lord Jesus and his return and, and, and the dying empire that's still trying to hold on to, um, to, to evil. And, and, and as part of that, uh, John expects there to be one last guy, the Antichrist. Um, and the Antichrist is going to be this, like, this, this one last guy who's, who's rooted in the devil, who's rooted in Satan, um, and he's going to try in one last big grasp, um, possibly, if you know the book of Revelation, the beast of the land, the beast of the sea, maybe both. It's difficult to know exactly. And if you are curious about these things, we have a good book in the uh, foyer called uh, The Power to Make War. So if you'd like to know more. Uh, but, but, but John's not, he's not, he's not settled there. Yeah, the Antichrist is coming, but many have already come. What does that mean? I got a, got a picture here of um, the, uh, I think the snake is supposed to be the beast of the, the land, or maybe the Antichrist, and I think that's supposed to be Satan. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but underneath is a, is a, is a, is a good quote. Um, I don't think Mark Twain actually wrote it, but he's the one who gets credited for it. He says, history doesn't repeat but it very often rhymes. And what I think that means is that, yeah, uh, the stuff that's happened in the past, it's never going to be the same. But there are themes and there are things that happen that recur, and they look like each other. And so, for example, empires rise and empires fall. We see this. Uh, We see it throughout human history. You know, the Persian dynasty comes up, the Persian dynasty goes down. Uh, The Roman Empire goes up, Roman Empire comes down. American Empire goes up, and we'll be at the top forever. Um, probably not. Uh, increasingly, <laughs> I've increasingly have my doubts about that. Uh, but that's the way that, um, that, that time works. There's not an actual repetition of what's happened in the past, but there are, there are uh, echoes. There are rhymes. We see the same themes coming again and again and again. And what John wants to say is he's like, yeah, okay, in the future, we don't know when there's going to be this antichrist, this guy. But I don't want you so focused on that that you miss the fact that there are antichrists here and now. They are a part of, they've, they've been among us. They're after us. And if you're so focused on the end that you miss that, you're in danger. Um, next slide. When we, we talk about that, we say this. We say that, that these antichrists that have come and are, are amongst us, they're, they're sort of like a picture. They're like a, a, a figuration of what is to come at the end. So at the end, there's going to be, yeah, this one dude who's like, oh, but until then, people who are antichristic, who are against Christ, and literally that's just what it means. It just means against everything that stands for Christ, that Christ stands for, they're going to be a part of our lives in the church and outside of the church. And so antichrists uh, are, are not, they're not, um, it doesn't necessarily mean like people who've like pledged their soul to the devil. I mean, I assume that there are people who do that, like when Ozzy Osbourne like bit the bat, the head off the bat during like a, a concert or something. I assume that's what he was kind of signaling. But that's not, the, it's, it's just anybody who is fully aligned with what the devil wants and is against all the things that Jesus brings in his life, death, and resurrection. 
And these are prefigurations. They're models of the last who is yet to come. So let's find out a little more about these antichrists. Okay, so John says, uh, they departed from us. They were actually members or p- part of the Christian community, all right? They were not rooted in us. Uh, um, again, John's language, in John's mind, uh, everyone's either rooted or born from God, or they're rooted or born from the devil. And so what he thinks is he thinks that these, these, weren't, these weren't Christians. These weren't believers. They were, they were people who came into the church with the intent of destroying the church. Maybe even sometimes, uh, sometimes subconsciously, but that's what they were about. And John says, well, because if, if they'd been rooted in us, born of God, one of us, truly, they would have stayed. And when they left, they made it obvious that they're not really ours. So what were they doing? Why were, what were they doing while they were here? John tells us. He says, who lies if not the one who denies that Jesus is Messiah? That person is the Antichrist. And that person at the end will be the Antichrist. And the little Antichrist, Antichristic people um, who, who are a part of, of life here and now, they echo that. They're, they're a rhyme of that. The one who denies the Father and the Son. If you deny that Jesus comes from the Father, well, then you're denying that the Father is the Father of the Son. You are pushing back against some very serious stuff. Now, I just want to take a moment to dispel... Um, one misunderstanding. So if we, uh, Marilyn, if we go back to the previous slide. This text has been used to um, talk about people who were genuinely believers, part of the, the faith, they, they believe, and then they fell away, okay? Uh, and so in some churches, they'll tell you that, any, that when people leave the congregation, it shows that they were actually never Christians to begin with. That is not what's happening, Do not make that mistake. This is talking about people who are liars, deceivers. These are, these are not, you know, the nice person who's like, oh, my life is broken. Can, can I have some forgiveness from Jesus, please? That's not this person. In fact, if you want to think about who this person is, no one better than Wormtongue. Little plug here, uh, September 17th is our next uh, men's event. Um, I don't know why, I mean, I think women like Lord of the Rings too, but you're not invited. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to cook some meat and probably some potatoes. We're going to bring out the big grill, and then we're going to put um, Fellowship of the Ring, extended edition, of course, because we're purists, uh, up on these screens with uh, a lot of volume. So guys, um, get ready for that. Invite your friends. This is from The Two Towers, which is the second film. I expect most of us will be asleep by around two and a half hours in, so we're not going to get to the two towers. But if we were, we would see this scene. This is a worm tongue, Grima worm tongue. He was hired by uh, the great wizard Saruman uh, to, to, to make the, the king of Rohan and really the, the country of Rohan ineffective and neutralized. So if you know the, the story of Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rohan was uh, kind of in the northeast or north uh, center of Middle Earth. And they were known for having these, uh, this cavalry that would go and would protect all the wildlands um, from the minions of the enemy. And in order to defeat them, they real, uh, Saruman realized he couldn't defeat them on the field of battle. They were too strong. They had too much power. And so the only way that he figured that we can actually defeat uh, the people of Rohan is if I send in a secret agent who's going to go and he's going to tickle the ear of the king of Rohan. And, and over time, 
with half-truths, with slight deceits, with, um, with sending him off on the, in the wrong direction, misdirection, misinformation, fake news, all of that. He, he begins to tickle the king's ear and he, and, he, and he saps the king of his vitality, of his, of his power, his influence, to the point that the king of Rohan, as you can see in this, in this picture, has become like a husk, just like a, like a barely existing person. Um, and he's completely ineffective. Rohan loses all of their power. The orcs are running all over Middle-earth. In fact, the, the people of Rohan eventually have to evacuate their ancestral homes because they've let the enemy get too much power. What, what John thinks is he thinks that the enemy is out there. And the enemy knows that if the enemy comes up against the church against a community of faith that's, that's praying, that's worshiping, that's staying true to Scripture, that's doing mission. If the enemy comes up against... The, there, there's no power that can stop that because the, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is empowered by the one who's already won the, the true and final victory. And so the enemy knows that if there's going to be a way to sabotage, if there's going to be a way to, to, to stop the movement of church, of Christ in and through us, the only way, the best way, maybe not the only way, but the best way is to destroy us from within. And in John's day, that was people who came in and they, they said, oh no, um, Jesus isn't this, Jesus isn't that. They, they, they went after the core doctrines of the church. And they said, that's not real, that's not true. And they would sow division, and they would sow doubt. And this would break the church apart. In our day, I I think um, our modern day uh, worm tongues probably don't do that very often. There's probably not too many people who come into Christian churches and are like, Jesus is not the Messiah. We've got, you know... It's been about 1,700 years since the church kind of finalized all the essentials of the faith um, at the Council of Nicaea. And so you're probably not going to hear a lot of people coming in doing that. It, it does happen, especially um, in more uh, liberal Protestantism, where they tend to maybe not think of Jesus as divine so much. They kind of push that away. But in general, in Bible churches and churches like this, people aren't probably going to come in and, and, and challenge that. Instead, I think, I think they come in and I think they begin to try and get the church to focus on not what God wants us to focus on. I think people um, can come into churches and, you know, even, we'll talk about that in a second, but I, th- I think what they can start to do is they can start to say, oh man, those pews are so ugly. And they're right. These pews are terrible. I go on and on about this, uh, you know, over the years, just because I, I don't know, I'm just waiting for someone to give us $80,000. But but I got to tell you, I don't, I mean, I don't like the way these pews look, and I think they're probably dangerous in some cases. So if you do get injured, we have a great insurance program. Feel free to um, make a claim. But that's probably not the most important thing in the universe. In fact, if I were to say, you know, if I were to focus on, or, or sometimes people come like, we gotta, we gotta get bigger. We gotta do that. We gotta build up more people, more success. 
We've got to have more programs. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. There, there's a lot of things that people can get focused on in churches. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, you know, I would love to have a color that was not from 1995. I would. Um, but at the same time, I'm much more concerned to see that the youth of this church are being transformed into Christ followers. I'm, I'm much more concerned to know that people are coming in and they're learning to understand Scripture and they're learning to navigate the Bible so that they can know um, the truth about who God is and what God wants. I'm much more concerned about us remaining intergenerational so that we have um, you know, people who are seasoned, uh, who've been through it, who can offer advice and, 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 and teaching and, and, and all that to those who are a little bit younger. I'm more concerned about having people who are interested in praying and worshiping and giving God what God is due. And it is so easy in this position, in this place, for us as a people to start getting like a little bit off the path. Get worried about this, 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 and this. But I, I, I submit to you that, 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 that those are lies. Those things are lies. They can be lies. Next thing you know, Jesus, is that um, Antichrist comes into the community with lies designed to destroy the church. Now, I do want you to hear this. In, jo- when, in John's context, these Antichrists, they are not Christians at all. Um, in our context, typically, I think that the people who end up being antichristic, they're not antichrists, they're antichristic because they, for whatever reason, have been deceived by the enemy and they've, they've lost focus on the things that actually matter. And so I think there's a little bit of a difference between John's context and our context, but I think the end result is very similar, where people who've been deceived by the enemy end up becoming antichristic. They, they tell half-truths and misdirection, not usually probably unintentionally, and it gets us off. It gets us off track of the important things that the church has been called to do. And if that's a reality, if that's a reality that, that, that there are people, you know, po- possibly some of us here that are, that are in that mindset, I mean, that's, that should raise some questions. I have a, a couple here that just kind of set the, the stage. Um, if you're new or newish to our community, are you teachable or are you trying to make us different? Coast, we, we're what, how old are we? Like, how many years? 50-something. We're like 50 years, 54, 55 years old, something. I can't remember, but it's a lot. We're a very old independent evangelical church here in, in uh, South Orange County. We have a very strong, rooted tradition in trusting and teaching the Bible, being fully committed to the doctrine of free grace, and of fostering a, a family community where we get involved in each other's lives. That's who we are. That's our DNA. Sometimes people come in, they're like, ah, you're doing so much right, but the pews, man, the pews, or whatever. Uh, what, what, I, what I'm saying is, is if, you're, if you're new or newish to the community, what I would really love to see is that you're here because you believe that this place, you're not here to change us, but you believe this place might have the ability to change you. And if you're new or newish um, to Coast, I, I'm right now. I'm planning uh, in the in the fall to begin either like a do, to redo our new um, 
kind of our, our uh, distinctives, new members class type thing, or alternatively, maybe in conjunction, do like a kind of a couple's Bible study, something like that, so that really aimed at the people who, you know, maybe you don't feel like this is home yet, but you kind of think you'd like it if it were. And what I would like to see is I would like to see you come and, and be shaped before you start shaping. <laughs> Number two, uh, this is another question that might come up. So some of us here have been at Coast for a very long time. I can claim 1989 or 90. Um, Linda, I mean, I know you've, now you're in Vegas, but... 76! 76. Lord, it's a long time ago. Um, if you've been at Coast for a while, are you getting to know and lead those who haven't? I mean, I made fun of Lindsay for, like, doing everything. And she really does. It's tremendous. What an incredible human being. Um, I'm super not into that, but she is, and God be praised. Um, but, there, you know, there, there are some of us who've been here for three, four-plus years, you know, and you're just like, man, this is cool. I love how, you know, my kids get along here. They like it. Um, I'm really comfortable here. People seem to, yeah, that's cool. But if it's true that there are antichristic forces that are looking to penetrate this community, then boy gee willikers, it would be really nice if you were on the front lines with us making sure that we're discipling and not being altered by the people that are joining us. I would love for you to take, you know, some responsibility or, you know, like Bill has a CBS uh, Bible study. Thank you, Bill. Um, we, we, there, Awana, we got Awana. There's lots of different places you could be slotted in to help make sure that we remain us, that the antichristic forces don't undermine who we are and change us into something that we shouldn't be. Well, okay, so if that's the problem, if the problem is that there's antichrists out there, antichristic uh, people who, for whatever reason, have been deceived, uh, and so they, they come into churches and they guide churches away from uh, where they're supposed to be. What, what defense do we have? Well, John tells us. He says, you possess an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and you all are in the know. Um, if you're following in your pew Bibles, it might say, it depends, if, you're, if you have a New American Standard, it's similar to this. Uh, if you have like a, an NIV, it'll be different, but it'll say something like, and you know everything, or you know all things. Uh, The reason there is because the Greek um, is ambiguous. It could read one of two ways. It could read like this, all y'all know what's up, or some of y'all know everything. Those are the two possibilities. Really, literal, if you're getting extremely literal in the way that you read, and it's ambiguous in Greek. It could go either way. All y'all know what's up, or just all y'all know. In, In English, we have to add what's up. Or some of y'all know everything. I bring this out because I think it's very important for us to recognize that John is definitely in the all y'all know what's up category. And that's because John knows that when the coming of Christ, everybody who believes is sealed or anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and does something fundamental to you the moment you believe. Changes something about the way that you think and perceive the universe. And it happens to every Christian, whether you like it or not. And 
what is that? Well, first, we know what an anointing is. I have a picture here of Aaron getting anointed. In the Old Testament, you may be familiar with Aaron. He was the, the first priest, the uh, head of the Levites. And that was in, the, uh, in, the, in Israel's uh, community that Levites were charged with being the priests. And in order to signify that someone had become a priest, they would anoint, they would literally pour oil over that person's head. And uh, in fact, in, I think it's Leviticus, it even says, like, it's important for the oil to, like, go down into Aaron's beard and drip off into his collar, which, I don't know, I just think that's funny. I don't know why that would be included, but it is there. Um, what, what, is, what is this for, though? What's, what's the point? Well, the community needs people who, they can, who are trustworthy, who we can go to and say, and say, and they know what's up. They know everything there is to know, or at least most of it, about God, God's nature, what we need to do, how to live, how we can show God that we love God, that we're sorry, that we praise God, we're grateful, all of these things. We need somebody who we can trust to do that. And for Israel, that was going to be the Levites, the priests. And so they came up, God sort of ordained this, this, uh, this ceremony that would happen to every Levite priest. It's interesting. If, uh, well, the re- uh, it's interesting, this, uh, the word for anointing here is chrisma. It only gets used by John in the New Testament, and it only shows up prominently in one section about anointing in the Old Testament. It's Exodus 29 and 30. And so if you follow John's thought, he's, thought, he's thinking about it, this very specific type of anointing. It's the anointing of Aaron and the Levitical priests. And you follow, you read um, the, all the different ceremonies. It's very interesting. Some, and then God does something very funny, very interesting. Best illustrated by now-canceled Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Uh, so if you have HBO Max, you can still watch um, classic Looney Tunes. Uh, anyone under the age of 18 know this character? If you're under the age of 18 and you know this character, raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, Luke, he's, like, he's all in on the culture. He's got to figure it out. Oh, Brady! Brady, you've seen a Pepe Le Pew cartoon? Cool. Well, that's probably very bad for you because I've been told that uh, Pepe Le Pew encourages rape culture, so don't ever do that again. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but maybe it is. Uh, Whatever. All I know is that uh, Pepe Le Pew... Uh, the, the cartoon is, is very interesting because it follows the same format every single time in which Pepe Le Pew, who is a skunk, walks around with an aroma, a skunk aroma. And Pepe Le Pew, for whatever reason, always finds the same female cat to fall in love with. And he wants to date her, to marry her. And so he, in every single one of the cartoons, he, he finds her, he sees her, but before he even talks to her, she goes... Bleh! Because she smells this awfulness. She, she, she gets his scent before he even shows up. And there are times where he catches her and he squeezes her. And she's just like, oh no, this is horrible. Uh, but he has a very distinctive uh, smell. And it, and it makes him uh, very, very not lovable. And he's totally unaware of it. He just walks around and he thinks he's you know, the, the funniest, best, most charming, whatever guy. Well, if you read in Exodus 30, it's, uh, it's interesting. The, the Lord commands a very specific uh, blend of essential oils for the anointing of Aaron. This is a true fact. Uh, if you read Exodus 30, um, the Lord says, I, I want to make sure it's, it's very, and it's very specific. There's, like, uh, there's some cinnamon in there. There's some myrrh. 
There's uh, what's that? Is there sandalwood? Sandalwood, lavender, you know, all your favorite. No, uh, I don't think those are in there. But it is. It's a blend of essential oils. And, and God says, and God says, listen, nobody is allowed to make this, this blend, proprietary blend from Young Living, um, except for the priests. And if anyone else makes it or uses it, that person is going to be expelled from Israel. Very odd, right? Why would God do that? Well, you know, in the ancient world, uh, essential oils, or, or oils in general, were kind of like a perfume, right? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have Chanel or whatever. Um, instead, they would squeeze plants, and they would make oil. I don't know how you make oil, but what, however you do it, that's what they did. And then they would apply it daily. And, and it turns out that this anointing that the, the Levites had was a very special anointing. Why? Because the Levites weren't always in their priestly clothes, okay? When they woke up on, you know, I guess Shabbat would be Saturday. So if they, when they're from Sunday to Friday, they're just normal folks walking around. How would you know that they're a priest? Well, God gives them a priestly scent. God gives them an anointing, a special anointing, so that wherever they go, you ah, the priest is here. Now I know that I can talk to this person. I can, I can rely on, trust this person to answer my questions about the way the world is, the way God is, uh, what I need to do to, to, to show God my affection, love, care, concern, sorrow, uh, regret, whatever. Uh, that per- I, you can literally smell them. John understands that now that Jesus has come in his life, death, and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, it's not just priests that get the anointing anymore. It's every single Christian. Every single Christian gets a very special scent about them that shows that they know what the world is really like, who Jesus really is. They, they know that it's not, it's not what the world says outside. It's not what um, the news programs tell you. It's, 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 what, it's what you have come to confess and know by believing in Jesus as the Messiah, as the one from God who shares the divine nature, who we, sometimes we don't always know what the problem is, but we know the solution is probably Jesus. That is something that all Christians receive through the Holy Spirit when they believe. And that makes every single Christian a priest in the Old Testament sense. The Holy Spirit's anointing gives us the ability to see the world as it actually is, rather than the way it is portrayed on the internet. And what this means is it means that any Christian has the ability to start looking around and pointing out and and recognizing deceit, lies, half-truths, it, it means that every one of us is able to, at some point, to recognize when someone is taking our eyes off the ball. When someone's supplanting the actual mission of the church with something that's tertiary. Something that is just not super important. And if that's true, it should bring up a couple of questions. And, and here's, here's one Are you taking advantage of this? Are you seeing the world through spiritual lens? Are you recognizing that there's a war going on? 
You know, if you told me that there was a spiritual war going on when I, in the 90s when I was a kid, I'd have been like, eh, is there? I mean, I guess. But things seem pretty good. I can't say that anymore. And I know that there are true antichrists out there who simply hate the church. They just hate Jesus. And they hate anyone who's so benighted and stupid and knuckle-dragging to, to actually believe any of this stuff. And John says they're not just animated by what they think. They're actually animated by the enemy. And how easy is it for us to get caught up in an ideology that makes the world seem perfect, makes perfect sense of all the insanity that's going on? And, and that can, politically speaking, that can be on the left and the right. It doesn't matter if you're swallowed up by the way the world portrays things. There's going to be deceit, going to be lies. Really, the only place where the world is, is portrayed as actually is in Scripture, and it's enacted and lived out in the body of faith. This is the place where you start to see the way things actually are. That the enemy really is out to get you. Another question. Is Jesus at the center of your view of reality or something else? One of the images I I like to use um, to explain to students uh, what a Christian worldview is is to think of the cross of Christ as, as, a, as a window or a lens through which we view everything. Um, when we're wondering whether or not something is of God, we look and do we, do we see the cross of Christ in this? Do we see the self-giving love of the cross? Do we see the absolute commitment to do as God demands? Do we see, or do, or do we see those things or do we see, do we see something else? And I think that all of us have to admit, for the most part, unless we're focusing, it usually is something else. It's so easy for it to be something else. But if we get caught up and if we're, if we're seeing that way, then, then man, it's going to be easy to deceive us, to spread some half-truths, some misinformation, some fake news. And so I think the, the way to boil it all down is that when John's talking about antichrists and anointings, he's really, what he's saying is he's saying, hey church, there's a war going on. There, there are wolves out to get the sheep. Do you have your sheepdogs? Are they there protecting and, and monitoring and looking? Are you becoming a sheepdog? Do you have a sheepdog that protects you? Do you want to become one? Or are you just happy to just, just eat the grass and hope that everything turns out great? Imagine what the world would be like. Imagine what our church and the churches of Orange County would be like if there were real sheepdogs out there sniffing out deceit, looking for misinformation, making sure that we stay on track, that we don't miss our, our mission and our, 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 our call to transform lives with the gospel of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Imagine if that happened. Imagine if those for interior concerns, exterior concerns. We had sheepdogs calling out the, the culture that's antichristic that's coming after us and saying, get out of here. We're tired of you. And, 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 and going after him and saying, no, no, 
The world's like this. This is, we're in the last hour, friends. This isn't just some, this, this isn't just a cosmic accident. Okay? The kingdom is coming. The Lord's returning. Those are true things. And, and if you live in, in a way that, that is, uh, that is, doesn't acknowledge that, you're off the reservation. Imagine the power and the fervor and the spiritual strength that we as a community would have, that the churches of Orange County, the churches of the United States, the churches of the West, the churches of the world would have with these passionate, fiery sheepdogs. So I challenge you, if you're new if you're new here, I, I, I challenge you to, to get involved and, and, see, and see if maybe there's a way for that, that God's going to use Coast to change you a little bit. If you've been here for a while, I challenge you to become a sheepdog. Take that seriously. To be the ones defending and pushing and making sure we stick with it. And in all of it, let us not forget what time it is. The last hour. Waiting for Jesus to return. And in the meantime, fighting against the evil empire. Wherever it shows its head. And let's go to war. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we ask for your protection against the antichrist and the antichristic um, delusions that can set our eyes off of you, off of the cross, off of our mission, that can destroy the church from within. I, I pray, God, your protection over that and, and a desire in every heart here to be on the lookout, to make sure that we're focused 100% on what you've called us to be focused on. God, I pray for uh, those here who are a little bit newer, um, that you would surround them with community, that you would uh, bring um, some of our, our, our people to, to connect with them and, and, and bring them along, offer opportunities uh, for them to, to become a part of this family and to, and to be changed by this family. I pray for a, a fire in the hearts of those who've been here a while to, to, to reach out and to share um, the special place that this is with others. To see um, more territory taken away from the enemy and put uh, into your hands as we wait for the final confrontation. Make us sheepdogs, God, and give us victory over those powers and forces that seek to overthrow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.